Hello everyone, it's Friday the 1st of March, St. David's Day. Happy St. David's Day everybody. And welcome to episode 194 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Happy St. David's Day, Will. Now, we're reflecting on some big news this week. And that is, after a decade in the making, the government has finalised its formal legislation on the regulation of dairy contracts officially labelled as the Fair Dealing Obligations Milk Regulations 2024. It has, of course, been long awaited by the industry, but what are the terms and what will it really mean for dairy farmers and processors? Well, to discuss it, we're joined by Michael Oakes, who is the outgoing NFU Dairy Board Chair. Also with us are podcast producer Becky and, as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Good morning, dairy industry, or good afternoon or evening, depending on (laughs) when you're listening. And yes, Will, happy St. David's Day to all our Welsh friends and listeners. That's you, Will. <laughs> so I've got to bring my report from outside the Senate in Cardiff. What a show of strength there this week, hey? What a reminder to politicians not to pee off the peasants. And it's a bright and cheery start to the podcast today because it's a new day in paradise or purgatory, depending on how many wheels have fallen off your cart and whether you've got a red tractor inspection or not. And it's not just a new day for dairy, but for agriculture as a whole. A new day, a new era, a new start for the whole of British agriculture, because not only have we new government legislation on milk contracts, which will be coming to other sectors soon, but big G, that Mr. Graham Wilkinson is taking the helm today as the new boss of AHDB. But that's not all, because there's not long to go before we have a new dairy board chairman in Big P. It doesn't sound right, that one, does it? Mr. Paul Tompkins. So there's just one thing to do now. Grab a spade, run to the hills, dig a hole, bury your head in it, ostrich-like, until we tell you it's safe to come out. Only joking there, Mr. Graham and Mr. Paul. But seriously, with almost the whole of agriculture relying on Big G for a successful future, and the dairy industry relying on Big P, there is just one thing that needs to be said at this momentous time. And I think I speak for everyone in saying it, because I know everybody is thinking it. And it's this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, etc., etc. Only kidding there again, we don't need to pray. We've every confidence in the pair of you. And so to the market and the big news of the day is that we've got 
40 pence on the milk price board again, thanks to Arla's increase for March. It has just crept past it by 0.06p. The last time we saw 40p was from Wensleydale back in May 2023. Arla's standard litre price is 38.43 pence which is pretty much what I predicted back in January at the CMX conference. I predicted 38.3p for April, so just 0.1p in one month out. So if that doesn't deserve a well-done sticker from Teacher Becky for the fridge door this weekend, I don't know what will. Uh, Muller, Barber's, Lactalis, South Carnarvon Creamery's first milk, Utri and Paynes have also announced increases, so well done them. They are significant, as we don't normally get price rises at this time of year. In other big news, butter continues to ride with trades for uh, the commodity at €6,000 for quarter two and Dutch at €5,950. And if you think that's good, German origin is a tenner short of €6,000 too. We haven't seen these numbers since November 2022. Uh, butter is bullish, say traders, because there isn't much being made. Stocks are low and some traders are in a pickle with their contracts, so they need to buy to prevent an expensive default. Obviously, buyers don't like the price up of Mr. Manring and are pointing to the flush as a reason why prices should fall. But at the moment, sellers are holding firm and are pretty relaxed. Stocks are low, forward sales are good and production tight. Uh, cream is about the same as it was here at £2.07-ish and as high as £2.20 for export because cream is much higher in Europe, where it's as high as £2.40. Alas, there is no such bullishness on powder. There was a GDT pulse this week for whole milk powder and skim powder, but it wasn't a great result, I'm afraid. Uh, both were down uh, again. Uh, whole milk powder down $100 uh, on the previous Pulse and 160 down on the main auction. Uh, skim down $75 on the previous main auction. Uh, Dutch Skim also settled down a touch this week at 2,460 euros. Uh, there really is a bit of a subdued mood over the market at the moment. Uh, the Butter Futures had a great week last week. Not so good this week. They've slipped down an average of 220 euros, but stay above 6,000 euros. Uh, skim powder dropped again. So whereas we had a milk price equivalent of 39.5p for August last week, that's down 0.8p this week. The uh, April to July prices are down double that, I'm afraid, uh, between 35 and 37 pence. 
there's been no major change on cheese again with everything flat but some traders are reporting a small uplift in activity and buyer interest and cheddar makers must be a tad more optimistic than they were since they are increasing their farm gate milk prices uh, finally spot milk is also similar to what it was at 36 to 37p so that's it now on to our guest mr michael who will be talking about the 10-year quest for legislation on milk contracts 10 years it sounds an awfully long time but remember it did take the nfu eight years to find someone to equal michael's charm charisma diplomacy intellect and general gorgeousness for the post of the new dairy board chair but happily they did find someone with all of those qualities but alas david brooks didn't want the job so we've ended up with paul and sincere thanks michael for all you've done on behalf of our industry take it away lads Thank you, Chris. Uh, Michael, welcome back to the show. As Ben said in the intro, this new dairy contracts legislation has been a decade in the making. So what were the drivers for getting the legislation through in the first place? And um, what are the negative practices that the legislation is supposed to protect farmers from? I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, there's been various consultations over the years and and the, the findings of those consultations was the the balance of power was uh, not, you know, not not fair and equitable. Um, you know, the whole reason behind this was about fairness and transparency. Um, you know, within the consultation, there were there were various, uh, you know, practices that that we wanted to stop. Um, and not every dairy business was doing them, but those that were and have done them were undermining those potentially that that were doing the right things. So, you know, I, I think now. You know, ultimately, the legislation has now been laid. It has taken forever, but hopefully we can move forward and, and build new relationships and, and, and actually, you know, share the risk within the supply chain more equitably. You know, that balance of power was was too far in the wrong direction. So, um, you know, nobody's ever said this was going to, you know, actually give farmers a better price, but it should give them the right price in the whatever market they're in. Mm, okay. And what are some of the key parts of the legislation from your point of view i mean you know that the the fact that um mm -hmm. everything has to be negotiated you know uh, nothing can be put on a table and say sign this or, or or actually you're out of here so everything has got to actually be mutually agreed um the price will you know has to be some kind of understanding of how what moves you know a supplier's price up and down um you know it's not going to be uh, perfect, but but actually, it's a, a real positive step in the right direction. Um, Non-exclusive contracts will be available for farmers that want them. You know, in the future, if a business uh, says I, that's all the milk I want from you, Mister X, and um, Mister X wants to, or Farmer X wants to expand his business, he should be able to take a contract with another business as long as he uh, doesn't abuse the first contract, because uh, this this works both ways for both farmers and processors. Um, you know, it, it's it's about building a new relationship, in in my view, uh, and I think it'll be quite positive. But don't, I don't underestimate the sheer amount of work that the new dairy board and, and farmers will have to do to 
to make sure they make the best out of this legislation in the next uh, few months. Hmm. And just sticking with the nuts and bolts, Mike, there are, there are two elements here, aren't there? There's the statutory legislative document itself, but there's also this guidance document, um, which will come later. Um, can you just give us some words about the guidance document, what it is and why it's important? Yeah, if, if, if for those who have been sad enough to read the SI, which is the, the, the legislation document which was laid last week, you know, it's it's legal speak, isn't it? It is. It's it's all you know legal words, and um, you know the vast majority of us will struggle to get our head around it. But the guidance actually turns it into you know the practicalities of this is what it means for you as a farmer or you as a process, and hopefully that that guidance will help us all to work together to take it forward and, and make it work. And uh, and who's going to be writing it, and, and and who's influencing it? I mean, the guidance. I mean, we're going to do our own, obviously, as an NFU, and we're going to put you know send that out to, to our members. But the guidance will come will come out from Defra ultimately. But I mean, they they are they can't actually do that till the SI has, has sort of got started to go through the process and coming out the other side, eagerly awaiting the guidance from Defra. But but ultimately, the process is that the SI is laid. It goes through the Commons. It goes to the Lords. And then actually, once it's actually law, then the guidance will come out from DEFRA. We, we, I, you know, I'm sure we'll be working with, with the team in DEFRA to make sure it, it makes sense and, and farmers can understand it. And, and Chris, your thoughts on this, and to, especially on, on the processing side, I suppose, in terms of what it means for processes, um, but also yeah, how it's actually going to be used, how it'll work in practice. Well, I think first thing I would say is that it is very much legislative speak and it's it's quite difficult to plow through and get some of the um the nuances and the implications from the legislation so the the guidance notes will be absolutely crucial from a practical point of view i think it is really it is really significant all farmers i think will have to um sign a new contract um provided they're offered a new contract by processors. And I don't think there's anything in the legislation which means that all farmers who have a contract now will automatically get a contract in the future. Um, there are other clauses in there whereby processors may uh, or do have the um the opportunity to offer fixed volume contracts, fixed period contracts uh, so there is that element that we need to chew through generally though i think there's a good balance in what has come out i think it does close uh, loopholes some pretty big loopholes which have resulted in malpractice in the past it will tie up loose ends on the likes of notice periods and allow for greater scrutiny of how milk prices are derived through through an independent verification scheme should farmers uh, probably milk um, a representative body should they wish to uh, to go through that verification um, and and there's a complaints procedure that can be um, referred all the way up through uh, effectively an, an adjudicator uh, reporting to the secretary of state so i think i think it's a big step in 
in the right direction, depending on what comes out in the guidance notes. But I do have I do have a few concerns. Yeah, I mean, this seems from what both you and Michael have said so far, it, it seems pretty positive. You've mentioned concerns there, though. What are they? Well, um, my main one seems to be that A and B pricing will be banned for processes that do not offer an exclusive contract. Now, A and B pricing has been used quite well, I think, by the likes of Muller and Meadow and Barbers um, to, to balance milk. Now, those processes may not want to offer exclusive contracts, so they will be, not be able to use A and B pricing. So the question, the question then is, how will they balance their mill? Will they, will they want fewer farmers and rely on the spot market more, for example? Uh, I think some processes may use the legislation to tighten up their milk fields. If they've got outlying farmers, they may, may decide not to offer those farmers uh, a contract. Um, and then there's a question of, will they offer rolling 12 months contract with fixed volumes, uh, plus or minus a tolerance? How's that going to work? I also have my, uh, uh, a lot of question marks over exclusive or non-exclusive contracts for all bar the big farmers or those with multiple units how is that going to work is there going to be a primary uh, purchaser for instance and a secondary uh, purchaser not not sure on that one so again this is where the the guidance notes and the interpretation of the legislation is going to come in into its own now, I know we have several listeners in Northern Ireland, because I've met some of them, um, and this will be of particular interest for them, perhaps. Why? Well, at the moment, some farmers in Northern Ireland don't have a contract at all, right? So this legislation means that they will have to have a contract. Secondly, they price retrospectively. So while some farmers in GB have been told what their April price is. Farmers in Northern Ireland know their January price, probably don't know what their February price is. I hope that this legislation will bring Northern Ireland's pricing strategy into the same, uh, into the same fold as GB pricing. But I'm not sure the legislation uh, does that. Okay. What about... Um, um non-exclusivity aspect of easy for me to say the non-exclusivity aspect of contracts um that's an important element here chris what does that mean for farmers and processors well i think at its base level some processors have banned and i think this is right michael have banned their farmers for having vending machines for instance uh, some allow it as far as I understand, some don't. So I think at its base level, they will have to allow off-farm sales on that front. At its most extreme, though, a dairy farmer like Michael will be able to sell to two or more processors. At the moment, he can only sell to one processor. 
so you know it begs the question how is that going how is that going to work you know will they have to be two bolt tanks one bolt tank for one processor one bolt tank for another processor will the will the processors um effectively swap the mill so one uh, so a farmer will sell to two processors but one processor will pick it up and then they will effectively do a paper transaction for for the milk will a farmer sell 75 percent or 90 percent of his milk to one processor and try and sell the other 25 percent or 10 percent himself or another processor um will pick it up i'm not sure on these fronts i'd like to know what michael has to think i mean the the, the non-exclusivity one um is trying to make sure that you know the industry was fit for the future you know in the future farmers could be on fixed volumes and they want to expand or to get the opportunity to expand but actually under their present contract if their milk purchaser doesn't want that milk they couldn't actually without creating another business within a business which is a lot of faff, couldn't actually take it on another contract. And actually, farmers are businessmen. We, you know, we, we, we've been, it, for me, business is not, not allowing you to have a non-exclusive contract. It's almost being treated like children, you know. So mm-hmm. farmers would have to respect their contracts, but actually, why shouldn't you be able to sell, you know, a surplus volume or extra volume if you expand to another, to another business? So he's trying to make sure we were fit for the future. Because actually, yeah, I think, we don't know what what the future brings. I think the detail of whether you have to have a separate tank or not that would be a negotiation with the two purchasers, wouldn't it? In reality, but it's yeah, I think you make, impossible. It's all possible and it's all achievable. I believe. Yeah, I think you make a fair point on the not being able to expand element. You know that that was the the, the thinking behind it. You know, potentially in the future, you could be on a fixed volume because your purchaser doesn't want any more milk, and you've got the opportunity to grow and. You know, you'd have to do some strange things, with, you know, reorganizing your business in order to be able to supply somebody else and possibly wouldn't be allowed on the present contracts on the same farm, even mm-hmm. even if you tried to, you know, maneuver business names and, and, and play silly games. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. One of the one of the positives, I think, is on notice periods as well and leaving terms. I, th- I think there's I think there is quantum leaps on on notice periods. Um, they will be pretty much standardized at 12 months as far as I understand it. And what I, what I flippantly in the past called howling wolf notice periods, i.e. you can only hand your notice in on two days of the, of the year on a full moon if there's a wolf howling in the background, will be banned. It's going to be standardized at 12 months. And if somebody has to quit dairying, a death of a key person in the business or something it's much more clear and transparent what has to happen now compared to some of the some of the terms in the past or or lack of terms and lack of understanding hmm. yeah i mean I, I think the legislation has done a lot of tidying up of some real anomalies that came out when, when defra did the consultation you know um with with farmers and processors you know so there was some anomalies on both sides and i think you know actually the fact that farmers will actually get together over the next few months and and actually get you know and we'll give them as much help and support as we can as a as farming union um, and and the same with the other farming unions i mean you mentioned northern ireland recently, you know earlier on in the call 
And, you know, we, we worked really, really closely with the Ulster Farmers Union, with the NFUS and NFU Cymru on this to make sure, you know, that actually we were all, you know, going in the right direction. Because as Chris said, you know, their structure is very different over there. Um, but they equally want this as much as, as we do and, and have worked extremely hard to get it. Mm. I think I think the legislation might be more applicable in Northern Ireland than, than it is in GB. Mm. I, I, I mean, definitely, you know, the, the, um, their structure, uh, and I think the legislation will will actually put a lot of focus on the, the, the governance of cooperatives as well. So whilst, it, you know, cooperatives, you know, I, I supply cooperative, but a, a co-op with good governance and good representation and proper representation actually should should actually benefit from this legislation but those with potentially that, that aren't operating perhaps in their suppliers members best interests will get there'll be more, much more scrutiny on those mm. and talking of representation another aspect um is the implication for producer groups so chris why will processors who currently don't have a representative farmer group be under pressure to set one up well i think I think they will be under pressure from DEFRA and from the farming unions to set one up because this legislation is all about fairness and transparency and has taken a decade and it is a flagship UK government policy. So those processes that don't facilitate producer groups, I think will be viewed by DEFRA as not wanting to uh, to be as fair and transparent as they otherwise might have been. So those who welcome producer groups and who work closely with producer groups will be viewed, I think, differently and better by DEFRA than those who don't have them or don't want them. Also, I think there's some benefit for those uh, processes to, to, to have a recognised, properly set up producer group because it makes their job easier. Going forward, you know, when when actually they do want to change anything within contracts or even setting up the new contracts, you know, do they do they really want to go around and, and speak to every individual farmer, or do they want to have a, a, a truly representative body that's got good governance that they can actually sit down and and uh, and, and work out their terms that they want to operate under with? It, it makes their life easier ultimately. It does, but we haven't got a good track record of setting up these groups. I mean, there are only a handful that are in existence, despite the NFU and others talking about the need for this for years. Oh, but it's been it's been a little bit like chicken and egg. You know, we've almost needed the legislation to to give those you know those representative groups the the the, the opportunity to to sort of you know make the best of being you know of the of the structure. So it's. You know, we we have talked about producer organisations forever, but but you know, probably the legislation will be the catalyst. There are there, there will be. Uh, I mean, we've only got one producer organisation as we speak. There will be two more being signed up quite soon, uh, very soon, and then you know, I think ultimately we'll end up with a perhaps an association of POs, which which can actually help other groups to form and and and, and uh, you know use their experience to sort of make their life easier. Mm. This has been a really big piece of work, obviously, throughout your career, Michael, and um, it feels like the, the statutory instrument is the birth of the baby, and now you've got the guidance notes is almost the next 18 years plus of rearing it, doesn't it? You know, 
and <laughs> so you think this is the big thing, but a lot of the devil sounds like it'll be in the detail. Practically, um, you know, Defra writing the guidance notes, and you were saying, and if you are obviously going to write guidance notes, and and I'm sure that there'll be lots of lobbying going on and and making sure that Defra get those right. But practically, what does that look like from a DEFRA perspective? You know, whose views are they going to seek? Because some of this will all be down to the practicality of implementation, won't it? And and that will be, by the sounds of things, more determined by the guidance notes than the SI. Yeah, but the guidance notes will be, you know, the SI in PharmaSpeak in reality, won't they? Well, hopefully they will, um, that, that, that we can understand rather than the, the, the legal detail. But I... Uh, you know, I don't underestimate the, the, the amount of work we've got to do. But I mean, you know, most processes, if not all processes, have been involved in this process. It's, we, we just haven't done this on our own. I think we've got to a point now, we've actually got a document we can all work with, which, you know, we've all had to give a little, you know, on the way to get what we want, um, including the processes. But the vast majority are now sort of, okay, they know they've got a big piece of work to do to, to actually, you know, make sure their contracts are compliant and get all farmers on on those new contracts between now and probably, I would say, July 25, because that's probably by the time everybody's got to be on those new contracts, I'd guess. Um, so there's a big piece of work to do, but actually, uh, you know, I think we're all up for it and, and talking to, you know, the major processes, they know it's coming. There's not a surprise that, you know, some have started to do some work already, but everybody is eagerly awaiting guidance notes. But, you know, DEFRA, the door's been open to all the processes and farming unions with the, with the team that's put this together. It's not, you know, there shouldn't be too many surprises within the guidance notes, but it's actually the practicalities of how, how it moves forward. Mm. I think the key word there is workable. Both sides do say the document is workable in a way that previous drafts have not been workable. But I've described the the guidance notes, Becky, as the problem child, more of a problem child potentially than the legislation. So your analogy about 0 to 18 and raising the child is, to my mind, the right one. It aligns with Chris Walkland. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds um, universally positive, but just to... Um, slightly play devil's advocate, Michael. Um, will this add any cost and complexity? Um, I don't, it shouldn't do for the farmer. I mean, it, it, it's more of an opportunity. But I mean, mm. obviously, if they want to put themselves, create those structures, you know, we were talking to uh, DEFRA last week actually about what potential support there might be for, to, to help those farmers get the, the advice they want, uh, the advice they might need. Um, and help them create that structure that helps them to get the best out of legislation. I mean, we've been talking to DEPRA about that all the way through this process, and I'm I'm quite hopeful that there will be some kind of you know support available, um, other than just from the farming unions and 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 the likes of people that have been involved already to make sure that they get those structures. Because and then ultimately, I think the model would be you know if you've got representative bodies of farmers supplying the processes, and then Somewhere above that, you keep all the knowledge and, and the expertise that, that actually people can access quite, quite easily uh, to help them get in the right place. But, you know, there is a big job to do. But I think mm. actually DEFRA are mindful that, you know, we've come this far. Uh, what help, what other help can we give farmers to, to make sure they get the best out of it? There is a formal complaints procedure, Michael. How's that going to work? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, they've advertised for the uh, role of adjudicator to, to oversee this. Um, and I, I, I know I sent that advert to, to Chris. I wondered if he was uh, interested. But, uh, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say whether he was going to apply or not. I've applied. Um, have you? <laughs> oh, right. So, I didn't think it was You're right, advancer. It's <laughs> um, your role, isn't it, Michael? No, it won't be mine. I might be seen as too close to farmers. This needs yeah. to be somebody that, that that can work with the whole industry. But for me, I think the really interesting part of that that about that new adjudicator role is that it clearly says in the job application that um, it will be rolled out over other sectors. So initially, it's going to you know cover the, the fair dealings within dairy regulations, but actually, as horticulture comes on board as 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 the poultry industry and other sectors do, mm. this will be a really really big role that. For the first time ever, there's somebody that protects farmers with their first customer in reality. Um, so I think, you know, that, that's come out with dairy contracts regulation, but every sector uh, and every farmer hopefully should should benefit from that in the future. But there will be a scale of, you know, it won't immediately go straight to the adjudicator for those little problems. It will only be literally, you know, if there's, if there's very obvious abuse and breaking of the legislation, but ultimately, there has to be a, a sort of stepped process that, you know, you don't go straight up to the adjudicator. Um, there will be a clear process of within within your contract how you raise issues. And it's only when those issues aren't, aren't sorted that you end up, you know, with an adjudicator that has very, absolutely, what I would say, strong powers to, to, uh, to, to make things right. Hmm. The complaints will not be, for example... Oh, I'm a dairy farmer. I'm not very happy about my February milk price. I'm going to complain about it. The complaints will have to be pretty forensic. You know, the way I would, um, the analogy I would use is that you've got to prepare a case that would stand up in front of a lawyer in court. It's got to be well argued, well thought out. Uh, with lots of supporting evidence as to why you are bringing the complaint. It's just no good contacting your processor and saying, oh, well, you know, Joe Bloggs' processor is paying another two pence at the moment than you are, and I'm not very happy about that. No, I, I mean, I, I would agree. There has to be a very clear process. Um, I think a lot of it, if you, you know, that, that adjudicator role that we spoke about earlier has been advertised. If you look at the job description, which I'm sure you have, and, I, and I've looked at it as well, you know they they will be almost creating the the, the, the sort of mechanism that they will operate under. Um, and, and I think a lot will, a lot of responsibility will come on that person. It's pretty key we get the right person, hopefully in that role with the right sort of regulatory experience. I would say to to sort of set that role up because it's a, it is a brand new role. Um, I think it's a really important one. But I mean, it's uh, you know, I think that whoever gets it will be quite influential in the way the way it'll operate. Mm. Speaking of other sectors, what are the implications here? What what should other sectors be looking at? Well, obviously, there's consultation going on in a couple of other sectors at the moment about fairness in the supply chain, isn't there? Horticulture uh, and the poultry industry, and you know, they they actually could take the. The, the sort of blueprint of, of and, and probably save the save ten years or eight years, um, uh, you know, and and once they've had their consultation, um, and and probably copy and paste a lot of the legislation that we've that is going through Parliament now, um, and, and actually have the benefit of that adjudicator overseeing their relationships, and 
if you look at the horticultural sector and some of the bad, well, what we hear of bad practice in that, I think they'd really welcome it. Okay. Ultimately, Chris, um, a big question I guess a lot of dairy farmers will be wondering, a lot of listeners will be thinking about is, will this have any impact at all for farmers in terms of milk price? I don't think it will affect the milk price. Uh, no. In previous versions of the draft legislation, and if we wind the clock back to George Eustace's days, he wanted to get rid of discretionary pricing, i.e. how pricing is determined at, at the moment, the discretion of the um, the purchaser. So that isn't going to be banned. and. Although the legislation does facilitate fixed price contracts, I think the the legacy of 2022 means that not a lot of those will come into play. So I don't think and have never thought that legislation would affect the milk price. What it does do, though, is facilitate greater understanding and transparency of how the milk price has been determined. And as an industry, we've we've not had that transparency. I can see where milk prices come from and how milk prices are derived, but I spend my life doing that. I don't have a farm to run. I know how much time it takes and I know how little time farmers have to do that. So hopefully the legislation, and I think the legislation will and does improve that that transparency. And that that, that transparency as well, Chris, will will actually, uh, probably for the first time for some processes, make them look up the supply chain to help manage some of that risk rather than, you know, farm gate milk price to manage that risk. And I know that's very simplistic sort of view but i mean ultimately you know there are there are milk purchasers out there that you know manage the risk within their business totally by actually moving the the, the farm gate milk price whereas you know they're looking forward i think they'll be you know they will be looking up the supply chain or whether that's futures markets or whatever it happens to be to help them manage some of the risk within their business okay um very positive episode today i really enjoyed it um that's all we have time for, though. So a very big thank you to our guests today, Michael Oakes, Chris Walkland, and podcast producer Becky. And just, just Michael, I know you've already had lots of thanks uh, uh, for everything you've done over the last few years, and Chris obviously gave you a glowing introduction, but, um, you know, there'll be a lot of listeners, I'm sure, want to just um, say thank you for your work. I'm, I have huge admiration for the NFU office holders and, and, and board members, and, you know, I'm sure it's... Um, trying to juggle that role and farms and family and everything it, it, it absolutely can't be easy so thank you for all your efforts and um good luck no, with thank you. good luck with yeah. whatever's next here here and good luck on the golf course michael <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't play golf <laughs> yeah, yeah well, we're gonna we're, we're gonna miss you on the kite podcast i know yeah. what a heck of a legacy what a heck of a legacy who knows we'll see time will tell. Oh! Make him cry. <laughs> I feel sugar like tea, should... Michael. Sugar tea. Come on, nobody's watching. I feel like we should no, do a stand innovation now. After there were so many yeah. at the NFU conference. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.